Wow. I just need to take a breath to take that in. Thank you so much, John and team. Well, good morning. It's good to be back in the pulpit again after a few months of sabbatical. Uh, on a personal note, thank you for your prayers and uh, thoughts and concern and care regarding the passing of my father. Our family really appreciates that during this hard time. <clears throat> As we come to the end of our series going through the book of Psalms, please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm one. 45. Just kind of throw things up into a little bit of a, a difference there. Most scholars agree the last few Psalms, 145 to 150, together serve as the conclusion of the Psalter or the book of Psalms. Uh, and so uh, Psalm 150 really is like the grand finale at the end of the fireworks show. And it's really an amazing finale. But in order to get a feel to how the psalmists are building and building and building to this incredible ending, we need to back up a few chapters and, and look at some scriptures from Psalm 145 to 150. And I just want to read a few sections of each of those psalms and conclude with 150. So if you have a copy of God's Word or a Bible app, you'll, you'll want to take that out at this time. And please stand, if you're able, in honor of God's Word as we begin uh, with a reading from the scriptures today, starting with Psalm 145 and verse 1. I'm reading from the NIV. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. Psalm 146, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Psalm 147, praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting to praise him. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him from the heights above. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for at his command they were created, and he established them forever and ever. He issued a de decree that will never pass away. And praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures. And all ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding. You mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations. You princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and women, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. And his splendor is above the earth and the heavens. And he has raised up for his people a horn. The praise of all his faithful servants of Israel, the people close to his heart, praise the Lord. Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of his faithful people. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the people of Zion be glad in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with timbrel and harp. And listen, take verse 4 into your heart this morning. For the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. 
Let his faithful people rejoice in this honor and sing for joy on their beds. Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh God, we, your people, are made for one purpose, to give you glory and to give you praise. You have created us and commissioned us and command us, commanded us as your people to praise you and also to devote our very lives and our church to spreading your praise throughout the world, for missions exists because worship doesn't. And so may this message today, in a small way, help us, your people, to obey your commission, to spread your praise both in our hearts and around the world and add to the glory that you deserve. We pray all of this in the matchless name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. You may be seated. Well, on a lighter note, today is the first Sunday of NFL football, so I thought it would be appropriate to start with an illustration from a couple of years ago. Uh, 29-year-old American football quarterback Andrew Luck was tired and in pain. After playing six seasons for the Indianapolis Colts, he called a news conference to announce his retirement. The joy he once felt about the game, the praise he once had for football, was gone. He said in front of those microphones and cameras, quote, football is a game you love to play. Many years ago, he said, it's a game I love to play. I've always loved football for just being football. But on this day, in front of these cameras and in front of these microphones, as he took the stage, he shocked the sports world saying this, quote, the cycle of injury, pain, and rehab, it has taken the joy of football away. I am unable to pour my heart and my soul into this position. Unquote. Two, cart two torn cartilage and two different ribs, a partially torn abdomen, a lacerated kidney, concussions, and serious injuries to both his throwing shoulder and his right leg were just too much, as he concluded by saying, quote, I feel quite exhausted and quite tired. The reason I share that story to begin this message today is because I believe the same thing can happen to us as Christians. The joy and enthusiasm and, and praise in our hearts for God that we had when our faith was perhaps young and fresh over time can fade as we get knocked down by life. Prayers that we offer go unanswered. People we love pass away. Churches we were a part of divide and split and whatever it is that you have and you're going through, we can find ourselves easily exhausted and tired. Part of the purpose for giving pastors a sabbatical is to mitigate that possibility, and I'm so thankful that you as a church gave me that time. I've reset some rhythms in my life this summer that I plan to continue to keep that from happening. But this doesn't just happen to pastors. This can happen to any Christian. And so the question this morning on the table is a sober one that I'd like to ask and answer, and it's this one. What do we do when we don't feel like praising God? When we don't want to praise him, when we don't desire to praise him, 
because there are days when this is the last thing that we want to do. So maybe, like Andrew Luck, you're here this morning and you're tired and your joy has been worn down. Our text from the scriptures today is going to help us to get our praise on even when we don't feel like it. From Psalm 150, we'll find the answers to three questions, and these will form my outline if you're taking notes today. Uh, The title of the message is simply, Made to Worship, and we will answer three questions. We'll see the who of praise, we'll see the why of praise, and we'll see the how of praise. The who, the why, and the how. If you're ready for God's word, say amen. Let's start with a definition. What is praise? The word praise in this text comes from our Hebrew word hallel. It means to boast, to give thanks, to adore, to magnify someone for their good qualities. It shines a light on a person and uplifts them in the company of other people. This attention, according to the psalmist, is primarily to be given to God because God alone is worthy of our praise. The word hallelujah is a compound word in the Hebrew, meaning praise Yah or praise Yahweh, praise the Lord. Uh, Secondly, I also want you to notice that this verb in our text, hallel, is found in the imperative mood, which means the writer is giving us not an option, but a command. A command to praise the Lord even when I don't feel like it. It's kind of like when I don't feel like getting up in the morning for work, I still need to go to work anyway. Here's a picture of my alarm clock. It sits on my nightstand. You'll notice it's old. It has that fake wood paneling that was super popular in the 70s with electronics. I've had it since I was in middle school. I still have it, and it still works. Uh, One of my goals during the sabbatical was to set boundaries around my technology, and one one of the things I did was I stopped sleeping next to my phone. I don't want it to be the last thing I look at at night. I don't want it to be the first thing I look at in the morning. So if I had to get up early, I had to use this thing. And it's the kind of alarm clock with a buzzer. Now, it used to be the only kind of alarm clock you could buy was an alarm clock with a buzzer. And eh, 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 eh. Does anybody still use an alarm clock with a buzzer in the room? Okay, there's a few of us. Now, there are few things that we both love and hate as much as our alarm clock. Uh, without it, most of us would miss an early start to the day, peacefully sleeping the morning away. And so the alarm clock is a blessing to us, but it's also somewhat somewhat unwelcome as it rouses us from our slumber and shouts to us, it is time to engage your life. Here's my point. Psalm 150 is like a spiritual alarm clock, waking us up from our self-focused life, reminding us that we were made to worship and reminding us to engage in the praise of the Lord our God. Notice the text, if you will, 13 different times in these short six verses, we see the word praise. Praise, 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 praise the Lord. Perhaps you, like me, need to wake up and remember it is time to engage in praise of the Lord. We need a spiritual wake-up call at times. So how is your praise life? Do you need to raise your praise, or would you rather hit the spiritual snooze button sometimes? We need to avoid praise, procrastination, and energetically and fully embrace this command to praise God. Psalm 150 wants to wake us up to engage 
in praise. So the first question in our text, in our sermon today, is who is to praise the Lord, the who of praise? Who is given that responsibility before God? The answer is found both in verse 1 and verse 6. Look at them more closely. Verse 1, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens. Verse 6, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. So in verse 6, it says that every living thing is to praise the Lord. Everything that has breath is to praise the Lord. And verse 1 is probably referring to the angels in heaven as partners in praise. We have uh, recordings in the scripture elsewhere, like in Revelation chapter 5, verse 13, where John says this, And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, and they sang, Blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. So friends, the praise of God we learn in the Bible is a cosmic activity that includes us, but it is much, much bigger than us. When we praise God, when we come to corporate worship in the morning on Sundays, we are just slipping into the back of the sanctuary and joining a worship service that is already going on. When we worship and praise God, we are joining our voices with the angels and with the seraphim and with all of creation. This is the command from the psalmist to praise God. The great Charles Spurgeon said it this way. The exhortation here is to all things in earth or in heaven. Should they not all declare the glory of him for whose glory they are and were created? To give the least particle of his honor to another is shameful treason. To refuse to render it is heartless robbery. So the command here is universal. Everything that has breath. So let's do this. Everybody, let's take a deep breath together today. Ready? Breathe in. Breathe out. If you have breath, you are called to use your breath to praise God. You are breathing his air, by the way. God deserves all the glory and all of the praise. So how do we apply this first point to us? Well, we are living things. We have breath in our lungs, and we are commanded to give praise to God. Not to miss the obvious, allow me to offer you two points of application here. First, we engage in praise by participating in corporate worship on Sunday mornings. Praise can be individual. Uh, praise can happen in the car. Praise can happen with your earbuds. And I understand all of that. But praise also needs to occur in the context of the community. I would be remiss to say that the, the, if I did not say that the word praise here is a command that in Psalm 150, it's always found in the plural. You all together are to praise the Lord. One of the gifts of the sabbatical this summer was uh, me traveling down to Texas to see some of my family. And when I was down in Texas visiting with my family, I was reminded of the Texan use of the second person plural that's not so often used here in New Jersey. You know that word, right? What is it? Y'all. If there was a Texas standard version of Psalm 150, it would say, y'all need to praise the Lord together. We need to spend time alone with God, but there is something also deeply important about the fact that we need to gather with others in the body of Christ and praise the Lord with our voices with, with each other. Why? Because when my faith is down, your faith might be up. 
So we help each other. There have been times where I've been running on empty on Sunday mornings. But then I come in and I hear John Bonaventura's voice up front, or I hear one of the other outstanding vocalists like Robin or some of the other singers on the stage, and they allow me to lift my own voice along with them, and their beautiful singing inspires me to begin to sing with my heart as well, and their voices kind of carry me. Have you ever sat in front of somebody who has a really good voice while we're singing in church and it just can kind of inspire you to begin to sing a little louder and a little better yourself? Other times I come to church and I'm distracted by worry, maybe worry about my kids or parenting troubles. And on those days, sometimes God in his providence will bring me Johnny, the youth director, or some other ministry leader here like, like Duran. And, and they will say to me, hey, Pastor Dave, just, just so you know, your daughters are great. I, I think of them like my own kids. Don't worry, they're going to be fine. I pray for them, Dave. How can I not want to praise God when I'm in the midst of such a community like that? Life is hard, but in community, God works in powerful ways to help us all to find our voices to praise him together, even when we don't feel like it. God knows what we need. If you don't have a place of community, uh, please go downstairs after the service and just browse around and grab a bagel and meet some of the group leaders and, and just kind of mingle and see what's available so that you can be plugged in to others in the body here. So our first application is to engage in praise by showing up into the community on Sunday mornings. My encouragement is to make missing church a, a rare event. Now a second application for us is to consider to engage in the praise of God by preparing to praise the Lord. If you think about it, we prepare for almost everything in life. We prepare for meetings at work. Uh, we prepare for classes at school. We prepare for campouts. We prepare and go on vacation. We prepare, maybe you're prepared today for lunch after church. We're always making preparations. How do we prepare to praise God on Sundays? Well, preparing to praise might include, for example, reading in advance the Bible text that we're gonna be studying that weekend getting to bed a little earlier on Saturday night, making sure you eat something healthy for breakfast on Sunday morning. For those of you who still have little kids, you lay out their clothes the night before, you go find both shoes. You remember that? Uh, and, and, and you begin to pray that God would speak to you during that Sunday uh, gathering. And you create this anticipation in your own heart that God has a word for you every single week. And so what is one thing you could do to prepare for praising God each Sunday rather than just coming to church cold turkey? How can you pray, prepare to praise God? So that is the who of praise. The second question raised by the psalmist in Psalm 150 is the why of praise. Why are we to praise the Lord? The answer, I think, is found in verse 2. Look again with me, if you will. The psalmist says, praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. The word for there in verse 2 leads us to the reason for our praise, the cause of our praise, the why of our praise. Why should God be praised? The answer is that God is to be praised for he is worthy of praise. God is to be praised because he has done things that are worthy of praise. God himself in his being and in his essence, in his unequaled greatness, is worthy of our praise. Notice here, there are two reasons to praise God. One is for who he is, and the other is for what he has done. 
for who he is, for his surpassing greatness, for what he's done, for his acts of power. So there is our application for this section. We are to worship God for who he is, and we worship God for what he has done. Who should engage in praise? Every living being, angels in heaven and creatures on earth. Why should we engage in praise? Because he's worthy of our praise. Question, why does God demand that we praise him? Have you ever thought about that question? C.S. Lewis really struggled with that question. This whole idea that God is demanding us to praise him. And as he was cogitating on this, he said, it reminded him of a, a vain woman that was always seeking compliments. And it left a sour taste in his heart. And he talks specifically about working this through in his book, Reflections on the Psalms. Allow me to provide to you Lewis's answer to his own struggle. He, he begins by saying this. The most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, or the giving of honor. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows in praise. Lewis goes on to say, the world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses, Romeo praising Juliet and vice versa, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians or scholars. Lewis says, I had not noticed either that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Isn't it magnificent? Isn't that beautiful? And so the psalmist, in telling everyone to praise God, are simply doing what all people do when they speak of what they value and they care about and they love. And then he says this. We delight to praise what we enjoy, because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It's not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it's expressed. This is why we're commanded to praise the Lord. And friends, we delight in him. And the end of our delight is our expression of that delight with our lips. And so our praise shows that he truly is supremely valuable to us and supremely worthy to us. And so we tell him. I think this is really important, that God does not demand our praise in some sort of artificial or egotistical sense. God is not trying to pat himself on the back or pump up his self-esteem. He does not need that from you or me. All creation is compelled to praise God because he's worthy. He's worthy of this Praise, to not praise God, that would be the unnatural thing. That would be the unthinkable and artificial thing. I'll give you an example. When I stand up here in front of a congregation and announce that a husband and wife are now married, those witnesses, every wedding I've ever done, those witnesses upon that announcement, all right there and then, in that moment, spontaneously begin to clap. I don't need to prompt them. They just applause, applaud. Why? Because marriage is praiseworthy. 
how very odd it would be. It would be really strange if I ever announced a marriage of a man to a woman and have that be met with frowns and folded arms. <laughs> marriage is praiseworthy. When someone has a birthday, that's praiseworthy. When you lose 10 pounds, that's praiseworthy. This summer, our daughter, Michaela, graduated from high school. When she crossed the graduation stage, we in our little Henschel row would clap and would cheer, and I, as her father, did my signature wolf whistle that I do for all my kids when they're on stage, because that's my job, to embarrass my children uh, when they're on stage. How many of you, when your kids graduated from school, enjoy applauding and praising them for, yeah, it's natural to praise something that is praiseworthy. To graduate from school, that's praiseworthy. It's not forced or contrived or selfish or egotistical. It's a celebration. It's a recognition of reality, the special accomplishment or character of the person. Just like that, our praise of God is the same thing. We praise him for his acts of power, all he has done from creation to salvation. We praise him, and we praise him because of his surpassing greatness, his goodness, his love, his justice, his mercy, his generosity, and his grace. We praise the Lord. And together we delight to obey this command to praise God for his glory and for our good. And we say, all creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing. Let all things their creator bless and worship him in humbleness. Praise, praise the Father, praise the Son, and praise the Spirit, three in one. Oh, praise him. Oh, praise him. Hallelujah. 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 So why do we struggle sometimes to want to praise God? Perhaps it's because at a graduation ceremony or at a wedding, the things or the people being praised and celebrated are close at hand. But when we come to worship God on Sunday morning, well, God is invisible. And the truths about what God has done can seem distant. They can seem abstract. Therefore, an application for us here to help us see God's worthiness more quickly is to focus more carefully on each aspect of the worship service. Each of our worship services has been designed to move us into the praise and the worship of God. I'll provide an illustration here. One of my sabbatical goals was related to physical fitness, and I made some progress in this area of my life by meeting with a trainer. And one of the things that physical trainers will tell you about is the importance of stretching, both before and after the workout. Like that, I think sometimes on Sunday morning, the opening song in our worship service is kind of like spiritual stretching, if you will. It's okay that you're not fully engaged just yet. Maybe you're only half awake. But if we're here and you follow John's direction as he leads us in a call to worship, you'll find that your mind and your heart are beginning to warm up and ready to exercise your praise. Our worship service, every single part of it, reminds us that God is worthy. Listen carefully to these song lyrics. Appreciate the emotion of the music. Remember the power of the gospel as you see people get baptized. Think about God's generosity as you pass by the offering box in the back. 
Remember Jesus' love for you at communion when we gather at the table every month. Let every aspect of our worship service remind you that God is worthy to be praised. We need that reminder every single week. So we've seen the who of praise, we've seen the why of praise, and now we'll look at the how of praise. How is the Lord to be praised? How are we to worship? How are we to praise God? We praise God, the answer is this, we praise God with creative expressions of music and art. Isn't that wonderful? That God helps us to praise him through music and art. These aesthetic, beautiful, and powerful acts of creation can take a tired and exhausted person and transform them into a passionate worshiper. Look again with me at verses 3 through 5. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. In these verses, we have eight different musical instruments along with singing and dancing. Our knowledge about these biblical instruments is actually relatively new. Only the past 50 years or so, because we've discovered information about them through archaeology, do we have an idea of what these instruments really did. Look briefly at each of these instruments that are mentioned in our text, starting with the trumpet or the ram's horn. The Hebrew word is shofar. It's the most mentioned instrument in all of the Bible. Uh, here's a picture on the screen of a painting from hundreds of years ago depicting a shofar. Later, ram's horns would be replaced with trumpets made of silver or gold that were longer, even three feet long. Because the shofar lacked a mouthpiece to govern sound, it was not des des designed to serve as a melodic kind of instrument. Instead, in the Old Testament world, the shofar was simply blown to signal that certain events were impending, including festal, festal events like the Day of Atonement, and you might remember in Exodus chapter 19, the shofar was sounded at Sinai to signal to the people the coming of the presence of Yahweh. Next, we have the harp and the lyre. Both terms re refer here to stringed instruments, although the word for harp, nabal, is more difficult to identify with precision. It's possible that nabal just refers to a different type of lyre, like a standing lyre and a handheld lyre. Uh, this hand harp that you see on the screen is the kind of harp that King David would have used. The book of Chronicles explains that the harp and lyre were the instruments played by the Levites for temple music. In addition to making music, these instruments were understood to have something of a numinous effect. Uh, you might recall the playing of the harp and lyre drove the evil spirit out of King Saul. And so sometimes they would play the harp and the lyre, the lyre prior, prior to the arrival of the glory of Yahweh, like in 2 Chronicles 5. Next we have timbrel and dancing. The timbrel was a lot like our modern day tambourine. It was a wooden frame covered with animal skin, a handheld drum, very similar to what you would see today. In Psalms 96 and 98, the making of music and dancing signaled the inbreaking of the universal royal reign of Yahweh. The tambourine and dancing seem to go together in the songs. For those of you like me, who usually when you go to a wedding, sit at your table and watch other people do the macarena and the electric slide and the cha-cha, this is gonna be an area of growth for you and me. <laughs> I married into an Italian family, and so sometimes at weddings, they will play the tarantala song. 
And if you know that song and you hear that song, in that moment you know there's going to be universal participation in the dancing at the wedding in that moment. And it's wonderful to see even the older generation rush out to the dance floor and begin to kick their feet, arms around each other, circling around and dancing. I imagine something more like that as the people of God would praise him and dance together. Here the psalmist invites everything that has breath to sing and dance before the divine king in praise of who he is and in also in anticipation of what he will do. Next you see the strings and the pipe. Besides the harp, another stringed instrument was called the lute, which was like an ancient guitar. John, I don't know how you can get that thing to do what you need it to do, but that's what they had for you in terms of a guitar. Uh, the pipe, or sometimes uh, translated the flute, was another common instrument. They were made of reed or of bone or of ivory. The use of the pipe or flute in worship was probably the precursor to the pipe organ. And then finally, we have the cymbals. Verse 5 mentions uh, the cymbals twice, the clashing of cymbals and resounding cymbals. Two types of cymbals are given here, one that clashes and one that clangs. This might be like the harp, a reference to both a small and a large instrument. There are smaller cymbals like you see on the screen that you could play with your fingers. The Hebrew could also be translated symbols of sound and symbols of a loud blast. Commentator John Goldengay explains the first reference to symbols uh, was meant to encourage the people to listen to what is about to happen. And the second reference of symbols tells them that it's time to shout in acclamation. Understood this way, verse 5 does not imply the loud, frenetic clanging of symbols as might first be imagined, but might reflect the liturgical use of these musical instruments to guide God's people towards anticipatory worship and unfettered praise of God. So there we are. Like a modern orchestra, Psalm 150 describes a diversity of musical instruments, percussion instruments, cymbals and drum, stringed instruments, harp and lyre, and wind instruments, the flute and the horn, large and small instruments, loud and soft instruments, complemented with singing and dancing. Praising the Lord does involve creative expressions of music and art. When some of us were kids, perhaps we were taught that some instruments were okay in church and other instruments were not okay in church. For example, drums. I want you to notice here that that is not the teaching of Psalm 150. The variety of instruments is not to say only these eight instruments can be used. Rather, through repetition, it is simply teaching us that any musical instrument can be leveraged to praise the Lord our God. Two applications to this point. First, if this is true, then if God has given you musical or artistic gifts, I want to encourage you to use your creative gifts to praise God. And thank you to everyone who's already doing this. I love the diversity of instruments and vocalists that we have on our stage on Sunday and the willingness of many of you to allow your gifts to help us praise God. For that, I'm very grateful. If you're interested in joining the worship team, you can see John. There's an audition process that ex explains itself on the website. Check that out. But it's not just music. The artistic expressions that decorate and adorn our sanctuary throughout the year and throughout the seasons, those are also aids to our worship. And so if you have gifts in that way, use your creative gifts to help us praise God. Second application, especially for those of us who are not blessed with musical or artistic gifts. We must be active participants in worship. 
In other words, enter into worship through music and art, regardless of your ability. No matter your gifting, no matter your gifting, you too are, are given this command to make a joyful noise to the Lord. It doesn't say make a noise that's always in tune. It just says make a joyful noise to the Lord, and that applies to all of us. Some of you maybe grew up in great churches, but in those churches regarding music, uh, you did not move. You never would raise your hand. You just stood there and you sang the song. You were part of the frozen chosen. <laughs> For you, because of your background, you may need to grow as a worshiper. D.L. Moody tells the story of a little boy in the late 1800s who converted to Christ and he became full of praise. So often it's our children that teach us what it's like to praise God with all of our hearts and with abandon. Uh, Moody said this, when God converts a boy, his heart is full of joy and can't help but praising. The boy's father was also a professed Christian. The boy wondered why his father didn't talk about Christ or didn't go down to the special worship meetings. One day, as the father was reading the paper, the boy came to him, put his hand on his shoulder and said, Dad, why don't you praise God? Why don't you sing about Christ? Why don't you go down to the worship meetings that are being held? The father looked at him and said gruffly, I'm not carried away by any of those doctrines. I am a mature Christian. A few days after, they were getting out a load of wood. They put it on the cart. The father and the boy got on top of the load and tried to get the horse to go. They used the whip, but the horse wouldn't move. They got off and tried to roll the wagon along, but they could move neither the wagon nor the horse. I wonder what's the matter, said the father. And the boy replied, he's a mature horse. <laughs> Friends, may we not mature past our praise of God for our own good and for his glory. D.L. Moody said this, praise is an occupation of heaven, and I pity the man who does not learn how to praise God before he goes there. May we learn to praise God now, for he is worthy. So how are we to praise God? The answer is with everything we've got. Let me invite the worship team to come back on the stage for one final song. And as they do, let me just conclude by saying we've covered a lot of ground today. I hope God that has given you one or two applications for your own life to apply in the next few weeks regarding praise. By way of reminder, we've talked about the who of praise. The answer is all of creation is called to praise God. We've talked about the why of praise. Why do we praise God? Because he's worthy because of who he is and because of what he's done. And we've talked about the how of praise. We're to praise God with creative expressions of music and art. We praise God with everything we've got. It's true. Like Andrew Luck, we can come to church exhausted and tired, beat up by life. But if we allow God to work through his church, and if we are here and we are engaged in community, and if we pay attention to each aspect of our worship service, and if we become an active participant, we will find ourselves growing in our ability to praise God together. Can you imagine a church that really understood that we are made to glorify and worship and praise God? Let's be that church. And Heavenly Father, how grateful we are that you have such wonderful reasons to praise you. We praise you because of who you are and we praise you because of all you have done. 
So help us today to add our voices to the voices of all of your creation to give you the glory and honor that you're due. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. <laughs>